Let's talk a little bit about marketing automation. So as copywriters, we have the opportunity to work with a lot of different tools. Often we simply take care of the copy and then we hand over a copy document and let the client worry about getting into the right tools, whether that's their email service provider or an automated social media content posting tool, or maybe even something more robust like Marketo or HubSpot. But other copywriters are taking the time to learn the ins and outs of these kinds of tools in order to bring greater expertise and strategic thinking to the table for their clients. They're solving even bigger problems, which can be a pretty compelling competitive advantage. Our guest for today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is marketing automation specialist, Simon DeBrito, and he shared a bit about how mastering these tools can make you a better marketer, whether you do it for your clients, or for your own business. But before we get to the interview with Simon, let me first introduce my guest host for the day. He's been on the podcast as an interview guest himself several different times. He's been a guest host once before, and he's the person who introduced me to Goo Goo Clusters and started my summer downfall with sugar. It's Justin Blackman. Hey, Justin. I will happily take the blame for the Google clusters. They are amazing. Um, that was my favorite part of the Nashville event. Uh, that, literally, that was the first thing I thought of when you guys said that you were going there. Yeah, Google clusters, uh, they are so I ate like three bags of them. I'm glad they don't <laughs> sell them here. At least you have to really go looking for them. So and uh, yeah, it kind of knocked me off of my no sugar bandwagon, which I'm back on no Google clusters on the desk today. But uh, yeah, those are they're, they're either the very most delicious thing in the world or the most evil thing in the world, or maybe both. I'm sure that there's a marketing lesson in there about scarcity and urgency of like, oh, I'm going down the airplane. I, I need to get one more, one more bag because I'm not going to be able to get it anywhere else. And yeah, it's it's amazing. Every now and again, I'm here in Georgia. Every now and again, I'll follow, I'll, I'll stumble on like a gas station near the border by Tennessee that will have it in Georgia. And I, it'll feel like contraband. It's like, I can't tell anyone about it. And I'm just going to buy them all and hoard it and get really fat and love it. Yeah, I've, that's my problem. That's what I did. And they are, they are delicious. But enough about Google Clusters. Before we jump into our interview, Simon, we do need to remind everybody this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Accelerator. That's the program that will help you lay the foundation for a successful business. Whether you've been doing this copywriting thing for a while, maybe you're rethinking your brand or changing your niche, or even if you're just starting out, it's a bit like earning a copywriting business degree. It covers everything that you need to know from figuring out your X factor, to creating packages that your clients want to purchase, as well as things like pricing and niching and finding and managing clients and so much more. We're opening the doors for new members very soon. So to make sure that you are on the notification list, go to thecopywriteraccelerator.com and just drop in your email there and we will let you know. And Justin, you were in the, I think the very first accelerator we ever ran. I was, yeah, I was in the beta round. That's when Kira held the gun to my head and made me write 10,000 headlines. Yeah, so lots of good things can come from uh, from the accelerator. It kind of, I mean, I didn't in, intend to talk about this, but it, in some ways it kind of launched your business and you into the copywriting world. And, and Not in some ways, in, in every way. Uh, highly recommend it. Big fan of that one. I actually still use some of the templates from there. Yeah, so lots of really cool stuff there. We'll be telling you more about it, but make sure you hear about it by going to thecopywriteraccelerator.com and get on the wait list. Okay, so let's get to our interview with Simon. 
how did you end up as a, a marketing automation specialist? Yeah, so I started uh, working in the U.S. close to 10 years ago in a small uh, startup company with around 20 people. And my goal there was to just recreate the whole marketing department. Um, what I found most effective was to create an inbound strategy. And an inbound strategy is what you do is like you create a lot of content so people can find you. And then you can convert them with this content and then start nurturing them. So start sending them more content to qualify them and send them to the sales, uh, your sales team. So reusing like content as a key of, um, of that, the lead generation process. And so I started driving into like really getting into um, automation, nurturing programs, which led me to my second job in a bigger company, but just really on the digital marketing side, again, implementing an automation process, an inbound process, creating all the workflows, the nurturings, you're really basing everything on content, content that brings value to the prospects. And now to my third company, uh, and where I just, we have a digital, we have a marketing department, we have a digital department. And in this department, I just focus on um, automation, um, nurturing programs and helping yeah, generate leads and making sure they go to the right person and receive the right content. So Simon, if I'm curious, like, you know, a lot of our listeners are copywriters, but some of them may be thinking, oh, maybe the copywriting thing or the content thing isn't quite right. I'd actually like to get on the marketing side. What like advice could you give somebody who wants a career path like the one that you just outlined? What kinds of things could they be doing in order to, you know, connect with marketers and really figure that kind of a career path out? Um. It's really like thinking about me. My main uh, idea was to, so on the marketing side, thinking about conversion and thinking about how do I bring value to the person I'm trying to sell to. Like I'm not here to just spam people, to just send like, like just a lot of emails or things like that. So it's really thinking about how do I bring value to the people? The value came with like good content, like great content that's really aligned to the persona that I'm going to talk to. And, and then, yeah, from there, it's just like, a, just really like, like pulling the, the, the thread on this and just like keep creating more and more content and realizing, okay, how I've created one great piece of content. What's the next big piece of content that can be very useful for my audience? Then what's the third one? And then you just like start creating a workflow of like a suite of emails or a path that people can go down to and, um, and really better understand your, proje- your product, your solution, how you can fix their problem. Um, so yeah, it's really kind of nat- natural uh, in a sense. Yeah, it feels like you know, like you, you kind of it it flowed for you, right? Um, in addition to content writing, though, are there other skills that they should be thinking about adding? Like, do they need to know a certain set of tools, or uh, do they need to dive more into strategy, or is it just get better at content, get better at solving the problems, and it all just serendipitously comes together? There are a lot of tools that will help you create your workflows for example so a workflow is someone enters through one door and what type of content you send after and send after because you don't want to be like so for example if we're talking about tools 
well, Mailchimp does it, but uh, a Mailchimp or an emailing program, you have to set up your email program every week or every two weeks or every month. That can become very time consuming. What you want is something automated. So you set it one time, you set your five emails um, automated. And once per a person enters through one content, they receive the next five contents, the next five piece of contents. So into, you can learn about automation uh, tools. MailChimp has one, um, HubSpot has one. I'm a big fan of uh, HubSpot because you can really track conversions, KPIs, and create the very good sequences of uh, emails. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about the tools that you use. Um, but first, can you just talk a little bit more about what you do today in your current role, just to give us a better idea of what that looks like? So maybe you can give us an example. I mean, you don't have to walk us through an entire day, but just give us a couple of examples of how you spend your time. Are, are you working directly with clients? Are you focused on the automations and managing a team? What does that look like? So right now I'm at um, in a well, scale-up company in Europe. We're going to be like really number one in the e-commerce sectors. So very fast-paced, very ambitious company. Um, a large marketing team with different departments, like product department, uh, content uh, department that creates just all the content, the blog articles, and then a digital team and a campaign activation team. So for example, the the content team is going to create all the content, the blog article, the white papers. They're going to send it to the campaign team. And the campaign team is like, OK, so I need to activate this market. We, we're in Europe, so maybe it's going to be a campaign to the French market or the UK market. What's the best tactics to do this? Um, and what are the, the programs, the nurturing programs that we can do to better once they convert to activate them so my role is to get at that point like okay we have the first conversion through this piece of content what happens next is what's the second email what's the third email uh, what time do i send it this lead to um, the sales team once it's sent to the sales team what keeps going on in the background so we can keep nurturing them, teach them about our solutions. So it's all this, um, yeah, all this automation program. So a lot of part is in between the marketing and the sales team and really making sure that the, 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 the technology is uh, following and is really helping. So as you think about then your role and what you do, um, and obviously it, it starts with content. Uh, you know, it starts with something that's compelling. So I'm curious, like, how do you figure out what content is needed? And beyond that, like, how do you avoid just like this slurry of terrible content out there that fills up all of our feeds and Google searches? And like, how do you create content that rises to the top, meets that need? Like, walk us through that process, because um, I, I think me personally, like I'm not interested in creating bad content. I want to create, I want to create great content, right? I want to be at the top, but it's hard. It, it, in fact, it's exceptionally hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't have the, the magical recipe for, for great content, but I think uh, to me and to the, the team I work with, like what we start with is really a 
persona, re-identifying a persona, and identifying where the persona is, is in the, the, the sales cycle. The sales cycle, there's like three steps. It's awareness, where people are really trying to, really just starting to understand that they have a problem. Then there is consideration. They're, they're saying to really, okay, I have a problem. Now, what can I do to fix this? Is there solutions out there that can help me fix this? And then there is the decision part. Okay, I want to make a decision. I want to purchase a solution to help me fix this problem. Um, where, which, which, what's the best product? So one phase is like persona. The second is like um, this awareness, consideration, decision. Based on that, you can create your content. Mm. For example, someone who has a problem with um, tracking, uh, tracking the, their conversions. Um, on the on the program, you're just going to have the first awareness content is like, okay, um, do you know how to track your leads? Do you know how to how to convert? That's something that's going to start to interest you and start to asking. Okay, yeah, no, I, actually, I don't know how to convert those leads. Second piece of content that's going to help you be like, okay, well, this is a solution that we've implemented for this and this customer. For example, you can learn more. Here's how we do it with our product. And the third one is really um, yeah, case studies, demos, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really basing it on, on the persona, what problem you're going to, to solve. What is the ideal um, pace of this content and the workflow that you typically create to move people from awareness to consideration to decision. I always wonder, you know, like, I guess it, it could depend on many factors, but how do you think about that? It, it will depend on, on many factors indeed, the, the industry, the type of product that you're trying to sell. Um, if you're in B2C, so business to consumers, um, you'll want to go a little faster because um, people tend to make more... Um, like fast decisions when buying products it's a little less um, i mean yeah compared to b2b to b business to business where it's going to take a longer time longer sales cycle sometimes it's two to three months depending on how much uh, the, the solution you're going to buy if you're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on the solution for example you're not going to make that decision in two days so so you expect a long sales cycle in general, still, I like um, the, the nurturing program or the workflow program to be around one email a week, basically, in general, as a, as a general rule, um, to just keep in the mind of the person and not like, spam them too much. You just want to really be respectful of people's time um, and, and you want to provide value. So you can't just like be emailing like three times a day. Like that's, that's going to be, uh, it could be a little annoying for the person. Then the second one also is on, uh, like you can use intent um, to, to trigger those, um, those workflow at the right time. For example, someone comes back to your website, uh, maybe not right away you can send an email, but the next day or something like that because you know they've thought about you. So maybe it could be a, a good time right after or soon after to keep following up and keep having this conversation with the person. Um, let's talk about some of the kinds of content that you might be sending. So if we're talking about, you know, a weekly cadence, or maybe it's twice a week or, or whatever you think your audience needs to hear, 
um, are you just sending email messages? Are you attaching case studies or white papers? Are you um, linking to blog posts? Like, what does that look like? And maybe even could you step us through like an example of what you might build out for a, a particular client? Yeah, uh, that, that's very good. Uh, that's a very good question, and and something that I haven't talked about too. There is a if you do it right, uh, a scoring system in place. A scoring system is, for example, someone downloads a resource the first time, you're going to give them, for example, one point. Um, if you send a second email and they open your email, okay, one point is not going to be easy. Let's say resource is 10 points. They open your email, you want to give one point to the email because it's an action. It's not as valuable as a resource download, but it's still an action, so the scoring is going higher and higher. If you link to another piece of content and then download that piece of content, then you add another 10 points. Now that's 21 points. You keep sending emails, they don't open, they don't open, but the third email, fourth email, they open and you ask them to take a demo with you, demo, jackpot uh, for the salesperson. That's gonna be 50 points. And you know when they reach a certain point, now it's time to send to the, to the salesperson. Um, and as far as content, we're really trying to take them through the, through the sales cycle. So if they come in the awareness, we're going to try to send uh, blog articles. We're going to try to send um, like market studies, things that are pretty generic about the market, the trends. Then when they get into the consideration phase, um, we're going to send guides. Um, things about that that can talk a little bit more about the product. Maybe a webinar there could be a good uh, a good example too because it's going to be a little more advanced in the sales process. They're really trying to understand the solution or fix their pain point. And then the third one, the last one is going to be really like a, uh, success stories with customers that you've had. Like you're trying to really reassure them um, that your product is good, um, that you've had successful customers that have been working with you. So it's more on the, the reassurance um, step at this point. Can you talk more about the scoring system? Because I feel like mm -hmm. I've heard about scoring systems, but it still feels, I don't know, it's just disconnected from what I do. So what are, I mean, what is your team looking at? Are they reviewing it daily, weekly to see, okay, this person just, you know, these people hit a hundred points. We've got to send them an email right now. How, do, how does it work on the back end? On the back end, everything is automated. Everything is automated. I use, uh, I mentioned HubSpot earlier. Uh, so I use HubSpot, uh, for example. It could be, there's other ones like uh, Marketo for really large teams, but there's a lot of tools that are going to do the, the system, which is automated. So I have workflows in place. So I have on one hand, the, the scoring system. So for example, uh, they download uh, a resource, it's 20 points, uh, another resource, another 20 points. Uh, and then a contact form is like a hundred. When they reach a hundred, I have an email that's being sent automatically to the sales team saying, hey, this person has reached a uh, hundred points, please call them. Uh, for example, and, uh, I use 100 points exactly to in all my things. For example, I give right away 100 points to a contact form or a demo form that allows me to make sure that all the contacts in the demo are sent straight to the to the sales team, and all the content I need to I know I need to nurture them until they reach this many points. 
Yeah. I mean, you mentioned a couple of tools, Mercado and HubSpot. There are, I mean, those are almost enterprise level. They're, they're pretty expensive. Um, there are some other tools, Infusionsoft, ActiveCampaign, Entreport. They're less expensive, maybe you know a few hundred dollars uh, to maybe a thousand dollars a month, depending on the size of the list. They also allow scoring, point scoring. Um, and we should probably mention like, this isn't the kind of thing that somebody can do out of their Gmail box. Like, you would like to to do this manually, you know, in an Excel spreadsheet or whatever, probably not going to work. So it does take some sophisticated tools, but uh, it seems like this is a skill set that a lot of copywriters could add uh, to and basically provide this incredibly valuable service to their clients who, you know, if, if they're bringing in lots and lots of leads, they don't know which leads are valuable, which ones you know are, are more value or hot or or cold, and just adding this to a skill set feels really valuable. You know, if you were adding somebody to your team, is that the kind of skill that you're looking for? Somebody who understands this level of sophistication as far as like putting together marketing programs, or is it less important than other things? It, it depends for what uh, role you're um, you're hiring. Um, if you're looking at someone that's, it's almost like that really just want to 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 write content. It depends to the size of your team also. Um, if you want someone that just write great content, that really understand the the logic, because there's a, a real an art between behind like a, creating right content to the right person and be able to touch an audience. That's very very like complicated to do. I, I feel like because maybe I'm a little bit more on the technical side. Um, but having understanding what happens behind the content creation to me is, is super, super important. You're not creating content just to create content just to pass time. You're creating content because there is an end goal. And in a business, usually, is to have that conversion. If you don't have that conversion in the right, in the first, uh, first try, strike, just because it was a cold awareness type of content, you need to understand what it takes to bring them to the next level and turn a cold lead into a hot lead. So I wouldn't necessarily look for um, someone that has the skill set, but someone that really understands um, a sales process and, and the marketing process and why we're creating content for and, and how it yeah, ties into the, the pipeline pretty much. Yeah, and I guess this might be a question for both of you, but if I want to start offering this to my clients where I'm writing the content, writing the email copy, and I also am now handling the, the back end, all the automations, in order for me to improve that skill set, like what is the best way to approach that? Because there are so many different platforms. So there's HubSpot, or do I go smaller? Um, is there one tool that if I master that tool, I can pretty much figure out all the other ones? I think the, the basic thing to me in nurturing is to understand the, the, the nurturing aspect. What's, what's a workflow? To me, that's, yeah. the, that's the number one, uh, the number one skill set. You can do that with something as simple as I think MailChimp has, um, and, and I know a lot of people have, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people have MailChimp because it's easy, you're saying to build your list um, and you're saying to send some emails. So I think uh, MailChimp, for example, has a, a nurturing, uh, a marketing automation program where you can start creating sequences, workflows, 
So really understanding that, just how a workflow works, you create one great piece of content that you know is going to attract a lot of people. Great. What's happening behind them? How are you going to differentiate the people that just maybe were students or, or tech people versus the people that won't, won't actually take an action um, on your content? And for that, you could create workflows. For example, they don't know this piece of content. Uh, you send three or four different emails and you see that uh, at the end, a thousand people donated the content, but 20 opened the last email. Well, just like that, maybe the 20 is something you need to look into because they've been following your process. They've been keeping opening your emails. So they have an interest for your product or something that you're offering. So even without the scoring, for example, that could be one thing that could help you tell like uh, that, that someone is interested in your product. So uh, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, Simon, and I want to come back to this idea. One of the struggles that content writers have is uh, they can't always attach the work that they do to an actual sell. And in part, not entirely, but in part because of that, they often charge less than copywriters who are writing sales pages, sales emails, and can basically say, hey, this page created X number of sales and X number of dollars. Therefore, I, you know, my my work is worth this. How do you track and attach value to content so that, you know, if you're if you create a new piece or your team creates a new piece, you know that that is contributing to a sale. Or maybe conversely, you it's not it's not getting any interest at all. And so now you know you need to create something different. Yeah. It's uh, again best back to your your tech stack, really, the, 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 the tools that you're going to use. Um, and, and the best way to do this is really to try to find a way to really integrate the entire uh, marketing to sales pipeline. Um, so we're going to use, for example, a, a, a software for uh, marketing, a software for sales, like a CRM. Uh, and both are tied together and they're sending information back and forth. So I know exactly when someone downloads a piece of content, if um, if it turns into a sale like uh, six months later, I'm able to track that because I have this connection between the, the two systems. And a lot of it, like a lot of these systems run on email addresses. So a contact, most of the time, almost always, is an email address. So if you can see that you have this many people that downloaded, uh, that downloaded content based on this email address and you have this many people that had a sale, there is often a way to connect the two together because yeah, it's the, the email address is the, the key element that you're going to find in, in both uh, tech stack in both systems. So yeah, you're, you're able to do it, which is much easier, like we were talking about earlier, than uh, when we were, we were just running on uh, Google Analytics, for example, all those tools that have like a lot of data, but for very good reasons, they are uh, anonymous. And so you're not able to track a conversion all the way to the end. So, so these automation platforms, these marketing tools, and the sales tools really help you to, to, to connect the two together. So to go back to the workflow, what are some mistakes that we could easily make? Maybe mistakes that you've made or your team has made that just kind of we should try to avoid? That's a good question. 
lots of mistakes. <laughs> um, Let's talk about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we have time. <laughs> no, it's really uh, uh, always a, a learning process. Like, um, what is a what is a big one, or not necessarily a big one, but um, just. The, the main one could be like not thinking about connecting all your assets. And so you have people downloading one asset, but they don't fall into your workflow. That, that could be a big one that you're like, you have thought about connecting one of the assets, you have all your, your nurturing programs, but you've thought about another, you forgot about another one or a third one, and those guys don't receive your nurturing programs. And so they're sleeping, they're dormant. Nobody is touching them. You thought you had it ready, but you forget to connect that one because you've done it for once and and then and that's where it kind of becomes complicated depending on the program you have but if you have something automated and something manual you're always creating new content right so technically you always have to maybe adjust the, the first list um or the, the entry gate let's say to your nurturing program so that could be a, that could be a pitfall another one also is to not update enough or often enough, your 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 workflow. Maybe you, if your workflow is talking about something that was created in 2019 with data from 2019, maybe that's not relevant enough uh, anymore to your audience. So regularly, I don't say every every day or every week, or we're trying to do something that's uh, automated so that can can last a, a long term. But maybe every six months or something like that, maybe try to just go back and look at your workflow and see, okay, is this still relevant? Should I update this content? Is there new content that I've created that is better than the one I've used? Um, and then the last one, um, I guess it's not analyzing the, the KPIs. Um, for example, you have one email that opens at 20, 30%, which is pretty good. And you have one that opens at 5%, and then the third one opens again at 20, 30%. Maybe you need to look at the one at 5%. Is the content not good? Is your title not good? Um, is there something that you need to change? Yeah, so that, that would be the, the, the main ones, I guess. Okay, Justin, so let's go ahead and touch on just a few of the things that Simon has been talking about. First of all, what stood out to you in the first half of this conversation? I used to work in content marketing and not everybody has the same approach as Simon. A lot of times it's like, all right, what are people going to want to read about? What can we do to bring clients into us? What can we do for us? How do we find people? What I love about Simon's approach is like, how can we create the most value? And he's constantly looking for um, providing answers for people. And he's not teasing them. You know, we've all gotten books, which are just like a pitch in disguise. He's not about that. He's about providing value and demonstrating uh, what they can do for clients rather than just teasing answers that are making like click here for more. He's not talking about gating content. He's talking about what does the client actually need? What does the customer need? How can we be of most service to them? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's he's not creating content to create content. There's that higher purpose um, starting with, and I know we're gonna get to this a bit later, but starting with that persona of the client, but the, the real thing is that problem, the problem that they need to have solved. And uh, I think, obviously, we know, most copywriters, that's where we start, was that problem. And then we, we need to you know, jump in with a solution and then all of the social proof and all the things that we you know, will add in. But oftentimes, clients start you know, 
marketing from the, okay, I need to get my course out there. I need to get my vitamin supplement out there. I need to get, you know, people need to hear about this. And so it's all about them as opposed to the other way around. So uh, yeah, it's good that you picked up on that because I think that's maybe the number one thing that we should start copywriting with is, Hey, what's the actual thing, the problem we're solving as opposed to what's the thing we're selling. Yeah. And he's, he's got some great information about the stages of awareness. I mean, we're copywriters, so we know all about that. That's what we talk about. That's what we, we preach. Um, what's nice is that I think by providing more value, he's able to create more content based on each individual stage. And it just creates a, a whole world of resources for him. Uh, and th there's just fantastic value that's not about what can I pitch, but what does my customer need? I really like that approach. Yeah, I agree. We also talked a bit about what makes good content. And I, I'm, I'm going to throw this at you, Justin, because you write some killer emails. I love you know some of the messaging that you do. When you're writing content, where do you start? What are you thinking about? Is it just whatever happens to be on TV that day? Or, or you know, how are you making sure that the content you create connects? Well, I've always got an overarching theme about brand voice or about writing with style and doing things a little bit differently and, and having it work. Sometimes it doesn't, but I talk about that too. But usually I'll just get inspired by something that I see on TV or something that I've read or something funny. Um, and I'll just, I'll kind of sleep on it for a little bit. And then I'll just start writing. I don't always know where it's going. Um, very often the first half of my emails get cut. Uh, they just wind up being... Um, just fluff because I don't really know where it comes. And then I'll write something and it'll connect and be like, ah, all right, here's the, here's the lesson. Here's the real meat. And then from there it's editing and tying it in a little bit. So my, the way that my content comes, it's, it's a little bit organic, um, and a lot of editing. <laughs> yeah. And when you were writing for clients, I know you don't do that much anymore, but when you were doing that, was it the exact same process or were you starting from a place kind of like what Simon was talking about, you know, where, okay, what is the thing that I can help them with today? Uh, I think it was a little different. When I knew, when I was writing for clients, I knew what I had to hit. There were certain beats that needed to be in it. And I, and I kind of laid those out in a framework and then I filled in the gaps in between. Nowadays, it's it's just sort of free flow, and I kind of use unconscious competence to let the 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 the, the work shape itself. Um, when it's B two B or B two C, it's definitely more deliberate, and I think that it's important to mention the certain things. You can't just kind of kind of go willy nilly. Like you, you have to hit certain things. There are there are benchmarks for the content. Uh, there's a flow. Maybe there's external links that that get brought in. So I believe in that world that has to be pretty deliberate. Yeah, your process I think is quite a bit like mine. Uh, you know, I'll start with an idea and just kind of start writing. And oftentimes I'll have to rewrite, you know, my intro three or four times like, wait, that's not going anywhere. Let's back up, you know, that kind of a thing. But it's always with the idea that we're gonna be talking about something helpful at the end, usually that, you know, when we're, when I'm writing for the copywriter club, it's, you know, one of the programs or something that we can do there, but it's not just selling the program. It's got to teach something. It's got to share something because most of the people who are reading aren't going to join the program today, but it still needs to be, it still needs to teach something or offer some kind of value. I hate, I just, I hate that, you know, you got to give value, offer value. Like that's such a trite phrase now, but there's truth to it. You know, if, if all you do is promote, 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 you can, 
you know, burn out your list, turn people off. Um, so you've got to, you've got to be doing something positive or, or valuable before you even, you know, get to the turn or, you know, have the right to send the, e- the next email, which might pitch. Yeah. I, I mean, luckily we're in the, we're in the world where we get to have a little bit more of our personality into it. And sometimes the value that you deliver is strictly entertainment and that can be okay. Uh, in the Simon's world, it's got to convert. So I think the way that he measures things is, is more deliberate and more, um, more tangible and, and definitely more strategic as, as, as he's demonstrated and talked about. So maybe it's not as fun, but uh, the fact that you can track it directly to sales is really an amazing value that he brings. Yeah, agreed. We also talked a little bit about scoring systems. Uh, there, you know, some of the tools that he mentioned have scoring systems or allow you to assign different points or values to things that your customers, your email readers, whatever are doing. Um, and this is this is something that gets used a lot in enterprise situations, you know, because they need, you know, you may have literally thousands of leads coming in in a, in a month and you've got to be able to differentiate between those that are, are not that interested versus those that are interested. And so as Simon was describing, you know, if somebody opens an email, you, you give them, you know, a point or maybe five points. If they download and read a case study, maybe they get another 10 points. If they're on a sales call at some point, maybe they get 50 points. And, and as, as you start to filter your client list by the number of points, it can start to tell you, okay, who are the people who are engaging, not just with your content, but with your business, with your brand, who might be most likely to purchase something. You can start to look at purchasers and the points that they have and start to see, okay, we know that, you know, if somebody joins this program, they did these five things first and, and build, uh, you know, funnels around those five things, or you can look back and say, who are the other customers on our list who have done these five things that this might be a, a fit for? So there's all kinds of things that you can do with scoring systems. I think a lot of copywriters, because again, we sort of focus on copy and not necessarily the automation tools. We skip the opportunity to learn about some of this stuff or to be able to contribute uh, to our client's success with these kinds of things. I know you've had, Justin, you've had some experience with some scoring systems from not, not necessarily from the building them standpoint, but from like using the scores and seeing how that works in some of the businesses you've worked at, what was that like? Yeah, sure. When I worked at the, the hotel company, we had 14 different brands and we had loyalty programs. So we were literally able to, to see people's scores based on how many points they had in their account. So there were um, the people that were like above and beyond, you know, the 80-20 rule that the 80% of your revenue is coming from 20 people. That, that holds true. Um, it was that way for sure. And we were able to customize the, or custom uh, create the content for them. Sometimes we would literally send them one-off emails um, written directly to them when, if they were high enough value because we understood the true value that they had. But also, you know, like Simon has, not all scoring is, is weighted the same. Uh, certain pieces of content are going to be far more valuable than other pieces. So it's not just like if you open five emails, but if you click emails then you get more points, but if you click a specific email, you get like double the amount of points. So I think what Simon does is really smart that he, he weights it. So like when a certain action happens, you get brought to the sales team. Um, and there are ways to jump the line and, and get involved in that. Uh, I was not involved in the, like in the weighting of the scores. I would love to know the science behind that, uh, to, to know exactly who's ready to buy based on their actions rather than just sort of guessing. 
Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a skill, right? And I think this is one place where a lot of copywriters uh, could contribute more to, you know, their customers' businesses. In fact, I mean, we could get to the point where we could actually help some of our customers who are using systems like, you know, ActiveCampaign, Infusionsoft, Entreport, they all allow some level of scoring. And many of our, many of our clients have access to those tools, but they're not using the scoring because they're just using it to, you know, send out a bunch of emails. So there may be some strategic opportunities for the right copywriters to build some some real serious products, valuable products that they can offer their clients uh, just around um, lead scoring. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much there, uh, coming from a marketing background, um, ad agencies were always talking about how many impressions an ad got. And I mean, that could be, if you have a, a billboard in New York city in times square, it's millions per day or per, per week. I don't know the exact math, but the fact is they're counting people that are walking by it and never looking up. So that doesn't really count for anything, but it's a great number and it looks really good on a resume or a report to a client. What the scoring does is it actually shows you the real message, what's actually happening. And there's so much value in that. Absolutely. So, you know, as we we're talking about this, uh, we were talking a little bit about the value of content and, you know, sometimes some content is more valuable than others. And I actually asked Simon about this in the interview, um, you know, about tracking the value of content, because like I said to him, you know, sales content is pretty easy. It's like you click on the sales page, you buy the product, like there's a, almost a one-to-one -one click ratio there, right? But uh, blog posts, case studies, white papers, all of that stuff that's that top of funnel content sometimes is really difficult to tie to the next step or the next, you know, steps after that. Some of the tools that we were talking about can actually do that, the HubSpots, the Marketos of the world, but most of us aren't using those those tools. And so, you know, how, how I, I've got thoughts about how we track the value of content. Um, what do you do in your business? You know, how do you know when something hits when it doesn't hit, Justin? Uh, very often I don't. <laughs> um, what's funny is like I've got some emails that I wrote months ago and, you know, I got a couple of responses like, oh, this is a great email. I really enjoyed that one. And that's it didn't get clicks. Some of my emails don't even have CTAs on it. But then I, I get some sales later on and I'll, I'll reach out to the person. I was like, hey, just curious, you know, what made you decide that now is the right time? And they're like, oh, it was actually that email that I got from you three months ago that made me know that I wanted to buy this. I was just waiting for the right time. And that's when I like, okay, now I'm going to put that in my, my welcome sequence. I don't have a great method for this. I really, really wish that I did. Um, I love that Simon has it. I, I wish I had it for my business. Um, it seems really scary and, uh, uh, and overwhelming to, to try to implement. Um, but the fact is I, I don't have this stuff and I wish I did. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely ways to back into it. You know, if you can, and it takes a lot of data to do it, but if you can, you know, if you know, say the number of visitors to a website or the number of people who are, you know, getting to a particular asset, and then you also know, you know, at the end of the funnel, how many are closing, you can start to back into that stuff. Um, but it does take a lot of data. And I think that's why some of these tools, um, are really important to get to know, or, or if you've got access to them, to use them. And while we're talking about tools, one you know, one last thing before we'll go back to the interview. 
there are so many out there. You know, I just kind of started making a, a short list. You know, there are the enterprise level do, do everything tools like HubSpot, Mercado. There are email service providers that go a little deeper and provide some kind of customer management and, and lead management like ActiveCampaign and Infusionsoft and Entreport. Then there's the next step down email service providers that don't really do that stuff, but it, they do, they might manage your list, convert kit, MailChimp, you know, help you with things like uh, landing pages and sign up forms. There's uh, presentation tools like Zoom and Webinar Jam. And, and there's, there's probably 30 different webinar tools that people use. There are uh, page builders like lead pages, unbounce, click funnels. There are process management tools, ClickUp and Dubsado and, and the like. There are sales uh, tools and pitching tools like close.com and reply.io, po uh, content posting tools like Buffer, Tailwind, Hootsuite, like the list goes on and on and on. And because of that, there's an opportunity, I think, if we master some of these tools to set ourselves aside as being really different. Like this is part of the X factor. If you're the copywriter who, you know, does a particular industry and you bring several things from your background to the table, but you also master three or four tools. And maybe thanks to a tool like uh, Zapier, you can string them all together. You literally can help your clients build new businesses. And again, showing up as that strategic partner, you, because you're doing that, it's not just, hey, let me write some emails for you and it's, that's $1,000, please. But you may have able to create a business in which you own a share or you're, you're collecting you know, revenue, uh, a part of the revenue because you're literally building uh, a revenue stream for your clients. So definitely worth thinking about looking into for anybody who's, who's thinking, ah, I, I'd like to grow my skill set. Yeah, it's the difference between being able to write a good Facebook ad and being able to manage a good Facebook ad, knowing the back end, the targeting, all of that stuff. Um, knowing the the additional um, information and having those skills makes you tremendously more valuable and you're no longer just a copywriter. And it improves the writing side too, because you start to get that feedback. You start to see, oh, this copy works, this copy doesn't, this idea works, this is, you know, I need to be more persuasive. I need to do something to catch attention. Like it just, it, it, it squares the circle. Let's get back into the interview with Simon to find out how these strategies can be translated to small businesses. Simon, as I hear you talk about this, a lot of this stuff makes sense at the enterprise level, you know, especially when we're talking about having a CRM, like maybe Salesforce, uh, connecting to a marketing tool like HubSpot, like there's a lot of expense there. Is there a way to take this strategy and make it work for small businesses that, you know, only have a few thousand dollars a year to invest in this kind of marketing program, or is it really limited to those with with big budgets? No, no, no. There, there is definitely a way. There's a lot of tools, a lot of tools that are free. Um, right before I arrived, so I just implemented like a big marketing software. But before I arrived. They were the, the team that I had, they, they were running on like a lot of tools that were connected to each other. And then you have uh, same thing, you have um, tools to connect everything together. So for example, like a, just to name one, because I don't have any other in, in, in mind, but a Zapier, for example, is going to connect your, your, um, your website to maybe your, your MailChimp to maybe something else. And with this, you can really find like free or very cheaply uh, build your own tech stack, which 
it would take a little time to connect everything together. But once everything is connected, it's something that can be really lasting time and that can be with almost zero budget. When I started in the first company, I really had almost um, zero budget on the, on the marketing. And it's fun, it's very interesting. And that's where you're going to learn a lot about how everything is connected, how everything works. Um, it's, it's very valuable uh, things to learn at that time. Um, maybe I missed this, but when you're starting the workflow and you have your pers- first piece of content to cover the awareness stage, are you running ads to that blog post? Are you are your clients sending an email to, um, to their list to promote that first blog post, or what? What is the best practice there? Yeah, um, in the awareness phase, it's very interesting. There's a lot of uh, different tactics that that you can use. Um, so we're talking about prospects that we don't know you at all, that are not in your marketing list, that you've never uh, talked to. Um, the best, and that's where, again, content is key, in my opinion, is uh, SEO. It's really uh, finding what content is um, looked for, looked after, and how you can raise in the search engine so your content really answer your personal needs and, and it's going to provide value when they read that actual article. So to me, we're talking about $0 uh, investment, time-consuming, but $0 is SEO. SEO is key. Um, then you have social media. Social media is, is very important. Depending on, the, on your audience, there's a lot of social media, lots of options available. Me, I'm more on the B2B market, so it's more LinkedIn. But if you're more talking about uh, fashion or, or, or something like that in creating content for the fashion, maybe you, you want to try Instagram uh, for a young crowd. Maybe, maybe you're, the content you're going to create is going to be videos, like uh, videos, 30 seconds videos. This is the type of content. Um, so yeah, really finding your, your niche, understanding your persona, understanding where your persona is, creating the content for your persona. Um, that's going to be key. And if you have some budget, you can get into ads. But ads is uh, quite expensive. So with no budget, I would not necessarily recommend uh, ads. Tried it, failed. I would not recommend it. <laughs> yeah, it can be very expensive. So you, you mentioned persona is key. Uh, I have some some thoughts about personas. Uh, I don't always love them uh, because I, I've had some experiences with big companies getting them drastically wrong. And, and uh, I'm not sure that they're always great, but that, that actually is my question. Like, how do you ensure that that persona that you're targeting is actually the, the customer that will respond to, or needs to buy the thing that ultimately you're selling at the end of the list? What does it take to create a great persona? It takes a, a, a lot of things, a lot of teamwork and um, so the, the company I'm working at currently I'm not in charge of creating the persona we have like the, 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 the CMO and the product team that really understand the, the, the product and understand um, really what is the people that use the platform we understand how they use it really understand what is their what do they achieve what are the, the pain points that they achieve on with them um, but um, generally is trying to think, yeah, what with the skill set you have, if you're, you're talking about skill sets, 
um, try to rethink what is the main pain point, something that really takes people time and that you can do faster or better. That's to me is like one of the key to create a, a good personalized like if you're on a on a small enterprise or, or just a content creator, it's like okay, what type of content can you create? Can you do it faster and better? So it sounds like you're talking about part, at least in part, the need that that they have, this problem that they have, and really uh, connecting that to your offer. Um, are there like? And again, I, I don't love personas, so I haven't spent a lot of time doing them, but um, obviously you're going to demographic information and some psychographic, like you're, you know, what are the things going on in their lives as well. Um, but that strikes me as one of the problems with personas is that it becomes really easy to drill in on one particular kind of client or one person and their problems and miss this wide range of other things that are going on in the lives of say 80% of the other customers, um, you know, as, as you create a, a persona. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, and, and that's the problem with most um, companies or, or, or people. We, we think that we can um, solve every type of problem with our offers. And, and technically we can solve like a 10, 20 type of problems, but the, the, general rule what's important is to keep focus because we don't have extended amount of time so it's trying to keep focus to two or three key persona that are going to represent um let's say just that 80 percent of your audience if you can have 80 percent of your audience really focus it on three types of personas and then create these contents based on these personas and what i what we use a lot is um yeah, the needs, the, the, the pain point. And, th- and then it's going to be like, okay, revenue, for example, what type of revenue, not of person, but of a company. Are you going after a large account, mediums account, small, small businesses or small uh, people? Could be the same on, on B2C if you're sending a product to a B2C. Are you targeting luxury uh, items or just uh, common goods or, or something even lower like so, so that's a, a key, I think, aspect of uh, that you need to to really think about. But you have to be generic with personas. You can be too specific, uh, and with generic, you of course you you lose some some aspects of it. Um, I'm curious if you have any advice on repurposing content. If if you've supported a team or um, worked through this, and if you have any tips for this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to me, repurposing is you start with a large piece, let's say a white paper, something like that, something that you've really like, taken a lot of time or, or a long article that you've created. And then you turn it into different um, forms of content. So, so to me, the best way is to you take that article, the blog article, turn it into a webinar. Why not? Turn it into... 10 mini videos explaining each paragraph pretty much of your content. So you can, with one piece of content, you can create um, easily 20, 20, 30 other contents that are going to be super powerful and that are going to bring back to your main content, trying to, to trigger that, uh, that conversion as well. To me, it's like you have one big piece of content, 
let's say you have a white paper that, I, that is going to be your conversion. And then you create 10, 20 other small options, small, small types of contents, different formats. Uh, video could be one, social media post, an infographic, something like that. That is going to bring back to your main contact into trying to, to drive that conversion. And when we think about repurposing content, should we be doing it for every single piece? Do we do it like, um, so let's say we have a big piece of content that we create once a week or maybe once a month. And, uh, and I guess that's really my my question is like, how often do you need to do that? Is it a once a week thing? Is it once a month uh, with all of the time that goes into creating one big piece of content? Obviously you don't want to waste that. And then what is that, um, the cadence for releasing that stuff too? Do you, do you put it all out into the world at the same time on social media, via email, whatever, in order to drive a lot of traffic back before the next one? Or you, do you drip it out over you know several weeks? Uh, what does that look like? Yeah, I would drip it out. Um, in general, like have a, it really depends again on the, the, the business, the, the industry, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm more a fan of like uh, having one, targeted campaign for like a, a month or two really like around this uh, piece of content and really trying to to really uh, explain it to your audience like show all of the other aspects that you can um, that, that all the other aspects that you can yeah, provide value through this type of uh, content there's another way you can see it as well is um and we're almost getting back to the to, to the person now or to the, the, the need at least uh, of the person. But if they uh, are interested in this particular piece of content, um, then maybe they could be interested in another piece of content. So for these people who have seen this, maybe you have uh, some retargeting campaign or an emailing uh, nurturing program in place and you can send them an, something else like your something else that could be interesting for them. So you've created this one great piece of content about um, sports, basketball. Um, you're a sports writer. You're, you write about basketball, you write about baseball, you write about football. You've created this great piece of content about um, basketball. Um, you can divide it into very different pieces, but you know you're going to create something else about basketball in another month um, maybe you can just make sure that this uh, audience that donated your first piece of content about basketball is going to receive that content and then it's going to receive all your nurturing program you're going to make sure that you target this audience on your social media as well and they're going to receive all your other pieces of content and and the small pieces as well I wonder how you keep up to date on all of this. I mean, other than actively working in your company, working with clients, but where do you go to learn and to stay up to date on the changing technology and what's happening in marketing? What are some go-to resources and uh, places you go? Um, at the moment, I'm really big on LinkedIn, actually. Um, following really key people that are very active on LinkedIn and that post very, very interesting uh, subjects. Um, so I found yeah, a, a few persons that are really talking about marketing uh, automation at the moment. 
and and every day they're posting amazing content on this and it's very very interesting and and they often tag other types of people so i keep following these people and every day i have a feed of like things that are super interesting on the on the topics anyone you'd recommend that we start to follow i mean we can start to follow you on linkedin <laughs> to see who you yes, follow absolutely elena verna is um is very interesting in my in my opinion in everything she she's posting at the moment um and i would have to to follow up on the on the other names i don't have them at the moment sorry all right so i'm quickly typing in her name uh on linkedin so if i can find her um but in the meantime okay so uh, i i know a lot of our listeners are copywriters content writers working for themselves maybe working for small businesses and some of the stuff that we've talked about, like I, I hinted at it earlier, it feels kind of big. So I'm curious, you know, if I'm just starting out or if I'm thinking, okay, I want to do more content marketing for my own business, uh, whether, you know, I'm a content creator or a copywriter, or maybe I'm trying to help a small business that I'm, that is one of my clients, um, you know, get started with content marketing. What is the bare minimum that they should be doing in order to have an impact? So, I, I mean, I realize, you know, bare minimum could be, well, write a blog post every month, but that might not be enough to actually move the needle for the business. So how much do they really need to do in order to start having an impact? And and by impact, I think I mean attracting leads and potential clients. Um, it, it's really about finding out where your audience is. For example, your audience could very well be on, on Instagram and, and you'd want to post a video once, twice a, a week, for example, to really educate them, talk about the topics that, you, that you're really interested about. Um, if you are more on the business side and you have like a, a yeah, business um, solution or, or if, your content are, if your content people are, to, are working with small businesses, you want to really start with creating a blog, I think would be the, the bare minimum because a blog, um, you can really, talk about a lot of different topics outside of the business part, topics that people will start um, typing into, into Google. And so for your SEO, that's going to be really fantastic. Um, and then the, the, the third yeah, minimum is like uh, start creating lists and, and be able to um, have like an... I'd say a newsletter, but something like maybe an email amount um, to just make sure that you keep in touch with all your hard work to of, uh, generating the leads. Like um, you don't want people to forget about you. You've, you've done the hard work. You've created a great piece of content. People have, um, have downloaded it. Now you need to make sure that you have this list of contacts and that you can keep them, keep sending them some information that's valuable to them. So unless uh, that would be like a yeah, very good basic and very easy to 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 put into action, I think. All right, this is maybe a big question, but what what do you think the future of inbound marketing looks like? You know, where where does this all go? Where does the technology continue to move? What do you see happening in the near future? It's a good question. <laughs> Big question indeed. <laughs> um, in bar marketing, uh, I think we just 
with the technology improving and I think it's going to be easier and easier to, to really understand the people we're selling to and we're going to be kind of like more and more personalized versus, you know, marketing started as like big billboards or big, uh, big ads in the, in the journal, something very generic. Like you didn't know who you really you were targeting to. You had an idea of your audience, but you didn't really know, you know, you were like running ads on the radio, running ads on TV. I mean, maybe some people are going to be interested, but it's kind of like a, it's almost a little bit by luck. Um, the more and more we advance in the technology, good or bad, um, we're going to, to know a little more about the people and we're going to be able to, to talk to them in a way that really matters to them and to what they need. So that's where I see inbound technology going, is to more and more personalize for the better and for the worst. Yeah, I mean, the better and worse we could talk, we we probably do a whole podcast on on the implications <laughs> of that. Uh, we've been focused on content, content marketing, you know, strategies, all that kind of stuff. But I'm curious, Simon, what does a typical day for you look like in in your work, uh, and and like what happens before work and after work? Before work and after work, it's a lot about the the, the family, the family, you know, my my wife, my kid. Um, trying to do sports, like uh, keeping keeping healthy. Um, and, and during work, my main thing is really at the moment to to support all the teams, a lot the the marketing department, the sales department. So really try to help them achieve their goals. Um, as far as all the content team, is really try to give them the tools to make the right decision about the the right content to create. Okay, here's in the past few months, here's the, are the contents that really worked for you. Um, here's the channels that they really worked on, um, be it um, um, via emailing, it worked a lot. There, you had a lot of conversion via emailing or via the, the Google ads. There was a lot of conversion. So really try to, to give, like support them, give them that information. For the campaign, it's really how to create the best lists, um, create the best emails, really try to, to help them have the campaigns, again, that are going to convert the most, that are going to be the, the most interesting, the most valuable to, to the potential customers. And then the, the, the digital team, same thing. It's like trying to talk with, with that team and try to make sure they know, same thing, what content really worked on, on which network. So, so it's a lot of... Uh, spending some time with each team to really help them make the most of the technology we have, uh, we have on our hands. You've worked um, as a marketer in a US-based company and also now in, in France. Um, what are some differences you notice working within marketing teams in both countries? Um, within the, the marketing teams, uh, I mean, the, the main difference of, in general, working in, in, in Europe and in the U.S. is going to be the, the culture. The, the, the culture is very different in, in, in Europe. Like in, in the U.S., you have a, a huge market. It's pretty homogeneous. Like you, 
just you can pretty much do your marketing always in, in English. Um, you you really understand your your like the population is pretty much the same. When you're marketing in Europe, you might have to target the, the French audience who is a certain way, and the, the Spanish audience, Spanish people who are going to be a, a different way, uh, Italian, German. Um, I have a very good quick example about a, a sales leader at the company I work at right now. He was talking about just the, the sales aspect, but that gives you an, uh, an idea. He goes to um, the Italian market and in Italy to really close the sales, you have to talk with the person for like, for like hours and hours and hours. You go to the restaurant with them, you talk, you talk, you talk, you just, just talk all the time. He goes to a German meeting, he has a 30 minutes presentation, he talks, he talks, he talks because he's used to it the Italian way. And five minutes before the, the, the German team says like, okay, you have five minutes, you've just been talking, what's your point? So it's, it's a very different way. It's very different. In, and in the way to create your content, to do your marketing, is going to be very different because the people expect different things. And, and if you want to market in Europe, you have to change the language. So you have to do your content in French, your content in Spanish. That's something we, we struggle a lot at the company I'm working at at the moment. Uh, but the content was created in all the different languages, in Italian, in Spanish, in, in German. So, so it, it takes much more effort to, I think, to, to, to market, to create content for the European market. So which are we, you're a, a German or Italian? Are you talking, 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 or getting to the point? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the audience. I'm a chameleon. <laughs> yeah i don't know which one's i don't know which one's uh best or, or i'd rather um, get to the point usually yeah, i think i probably get to the point too <laughs> so simon yeah, this, yeah, has been, this has been fascinating um just kind of talking about all these processes and and how it all comes together um if if you could go back and just ask yourself or or give yourself some advice you know when you're just starting out what would you tell yourself to um, help you make progress faster or to um, maybe do something a little bit better to get where you are uh, today? Um, that's a good question. I, I was fortunate enough to start in small teams. And I think it was really the best way to start because when you're in a small team or when you're one person operation, you just have to do everything by yourself. So you have to create the content by yourself. You have to do the design by yourself. You have to create the, the emailing by yourself, the social media post by yourself. So my best advice, honestly, is to start by yourself, do everything by yourself, because at the moment you join a team, you really understand what their needs is. And at the moment I'm working with the content team, I know what they want to, the information that they're missing because I've been there. I've created content that I didn't know who was converting. And so I know the frustration behind that. I've run the ads so I can talk to my, to my ad manager. And I'm like, I've created ad campaign that failed. So I know what you're looking for and I know how to, how to help you with this. So I think the best way is to start small, having to do a little of everything. Um, you're, gonna, you're going to learn a lot and you're also going to find what you're very good at. Uh, in the process. So, so I'd say it starts more. Yeah, that's great advice. And um, if anyone listening to this episode wants to 
connect with you or maybe learn more about what type of work you're doing or even you know, the company where you're currently working, um, where can they go to find you? Uh, on LinkedIn. I don't have a website anymore. I used to, but on LinkedIn is the, is the way to go nowadays. So Simon DeBrito on, on LinkedIn and, and I'll be happy to answer. Okay, great. We will link to your LinkedIn and we also will gather the list of marketing specialists uh, that you follow because I want to follow yeah, everyone absolutely. you're following. Okay, great. Well, that, yeah. we really appreciate your time, Simon, and you sharing so much about um, your side of the marketing world. It's been really fascinating. So thank you. That's the end of our interview with Simon DeBrito. Before we wrap, let's just talk about a couple of other things that stood out. One thing that I definitely want to hit on, I know I mentioned this to Simon and then I started talking about how it's, uh, you know, personas uh, can be really tricky. But let's talk a little bit about what it takes to create a, a good persona or whether it's even worth it to, to create a persona. And I got opinions. I know you've got opinions too. <laughs> My opinions are very similar to yours. Uh, I've been in businesses where marketing teams have uh, have hired agencies to create personas, and on paper they look great, and it was fun. And the marketing team's like, "Oh, we now we know everything about our client." And as a writer, I was like, "We still need to do something about this." And very often it's like, "Cool, we're already doing this. We're already writing to this person." You know, knowing what they're going to have for dinner on Sunday doesn't really help me. Um, there was extra value. Some of it was pretty generalized, sometimes stereotyped. Uh, some of it kind of made me feel a little gross. <laughs> um, so I, I do like that there are certain advantages to, you know, say Facebook ad tracking, and you can get very targeted with that. But to me, the personas really felt very generalized, and I just they kind of felt icky. Um, I didn't really like them. Yeah, I'm. I'm not really a fan. You know, when I, I shared this with you before we started recording, and I think I've talked about this one or two other places. But when I was working for Hewlett Packard, they made an acquisition of a company that had built their entire product line around a particular persona. Um, let's say that they called her Emily because that's what they called her, and everything was written to created for Emily, and they did this for like five, six, seven years, and then finally got around to doing a marketing audit of the user base. And they found that Emily was like only 20%, maybe 30% of the entire you know user base that they had. And that even some of the most profitable customers were not any part of that persona. And they, they had to find their own ways into the business. You know, they were solving their problems with their products, but they weren't, there's no messaging for them. And I, I think that, yeah, I know personas can work. I know there are a lot of people who really like personas, but for me, I agree with Simon. Like it's start it's so much better when you start with problems that you solve and as opposed to people that you uh, are solving the problems for. Like talking about the need cases, the use cases and figuring out how your product fits into their lives as opposed to starting with the person, the things that, you know, the the thing they drive or where they shop or how many kids they have. Let's let's talk about the problems we solve. Yeah, agreed. I mean, we've got voice of customer research. We know all about that. We, you know, as writers, we dive into the to the people's specifics and we want some tangible details that we can write about. We want to properly agitate using the right words and right phrases and something that's true to their lives. Personas, to me, sometimes some of the ones I've seen is like they they talk about what type of clothes they wear. 
that doesn't necessarily agitate the problems that I'm writing to. And maybe it, it can be to, to you or to someone else. Um, I just find them too general to be very useful. Yeah. That's my, that's my take too. Now, having said all that, I'm sure we're going to get a pitch from somebody who loves personas and wants to come in and defend them. And I would welcome that discussion any day. So we'll, we'll see what, uh, what we say about them in the future. I'll tune into it. I'd love to be proven wrong. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Uh, what else stood out to you, Justin? Uh, I love how we talked about being able to repurpose content by taking a blog article and making it into a webinar or, or 10 short videos or social posts. Um, there was a, a great line I heard about content marketing. It's when something hits, don't do more like it, do more with it. And Simon talks to that. He talks about repurposing it in multiple different ways across multiple different channels. Um, and then having that that pattern, that, that cadence, that schedule that he has um, to really create entire content calendars that just seems so much easier and less, uh, less foreboding when you know that you'd have to just write one piece and then chunk it up and then you have a month worth of content that's so much less intimidating than knowing that you have to create 90 pieces for the month. Yeah, as I was re-listening to this interview, it reminded me, you know, I sent out an email yesterday. So I, I took that content and reposted it on LinkedIn. Um, and there's not, I got a, a bunch of responses from people yesterday in email. And I've seen a few responses on LinkedIn so far this morning, and none of them are the same. Like it, it's, you know, it's a different group of people. Some of them may still be on the list, but maybe they didn't open it. Maybe they didn't see it or whatever. And so even, even just porting the exact same content, you know, who's really good at this is uh, Isai Arasi. She's taught about this in, in the think tank and in, in the copywriter underground. She, this is basically what she's built her business doing is, you know, you take that one piece of content and you figure out how to talk about it everywhere and anywhere. And it, yeah, it's nice of Simon to remind us that, Hey, let's, let's don't, it's not one and done. There's lots of ways to, uh, to communicate. So I guess the next step is how do I take that LinkedIn article and turn it into a, a Twitter thread? Or, uh, or maybe a webinar. We'll see. And what's funny is that you've got guys like Chris Orzakowski does this with, between emails and Twitter. Like he'll say, hey, I just wrote an entire thread about, um, about client acquisition. And you can, you can go to it uh, right here. And then if you repost it, I'm going to send you a second link. So he get, brings his email people to Twitter and then he gets people to engage with the post and then he sends them something to the DM. So he makes the, the points of contact. Uh, he's got now has three points of contact with him and he's providing more value along the way. Uh, Eddie Schlainer and Dave Harland are two people that do this really well with email and LinkedIn, where they'll, uh, they'll talk about something, turn an email into a LinkedIn post, and the email will also drive into the LinkedIn post to create engagement and increase its reach that way. There's, there's, there's basically what Simon's doing um, just on a, on a B2B scale. Yeah. And, you know, what you're talking about, you know, when you start pushing your list to LinkedIn, especially if you do it like within the first hour of posting, and I, I believe it also works with Instagram, Facebook, whatever, you do that within the first hour, you get that rush of traffic. And, and then, you know, the algorithms, of course, start showing it to everybody because they think, oh, this is great content. So many people are engaging with it. And so, it, you know, there are some really cool ways to, uh, for lack of a better word, manipulate the algorithm to do the work for you. So it's, yeah. it's definitely worth. It's to persuade the algorithm. We're anti-manipulation around here. Right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> 
Uh, another thing we talked about with Simon, uh, asked him just what's the bare minimum content effort that we should be doing. Simon recommended, uh, you know, we should be writing on our blogs, which um, I've got some thoughts around. Uh, we should also be doing SEO and writing on your blog as part of that. And then you should manage a list. And I, I, I do agree at like your own website, uh, making sure that that's showing up, managing your email list is uh, is definitely step number one. I'm not 100% convinced that blogs are where we should be sharing our content. I mean, of course, yes, share your content on your blog, but most of our blogs, per our personal blogs, copywriting sites don't get a lot of traffic. You know, maybe your mom checks it out a couple of times a month. You know, there might be two or three people who find you on search, whatever. Um, you know, maybe you write some content that for some reason it, you know, pops in the search engines and so it shows up. But for the most part, posting content on your blog is not going to get you traffic. Uh, it will get you an SEO benefit, but it's not getting you the same kind of traffic that posting content where other people are already gathering like LinkedIn or Instagram, or it's not, it's not just limited to social media. Of course, there, there are um, other places where people gather, right? But going where the audience is, is uh, what I would also share. That would be the, the missing piece of that bare minimum content effort that we should be doing. Yeah, I agree. The, the social posting is, you know, that it's fishing where the fish are, which is great. Um, there are people I've seen that start to uh, create blog posts out of their daily e or weekly emails, which is great because sometimes on those social posts, you could be like, hey, for more like this, click here and that'll bring you to uh, to your site, which is where they can, you know, enroll into weekly emails or whatever it is, or just read more of your content. And every now and again, you do kind of strike gold with that content that the person that just wants to binge all of your content at once, and then sometimes ends up buying right there. So there is value in the blog, but I agree. It's not, people aren't going to your site to, to search for the blogs very often. Um, it's not a, it's not always a high value uh, piece of content, but I think the people that are engaging with your blog are the high value customers. So it kind of works both ways. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to to minimize the blog that much. Of course, if you if you are really conscientious about your blog over the course of two or three years, you could actually create the kind of site where people do show up to learn the stuff. Um, but that's definitely not the beginner stage. It's you know when you've when you've put a lot of uh, work and time and effort into the content that you're sharing. Yeah, for sure. And also, you know, when you hit more of that later stage, you you're speaking with more authority. And it's less just like, hey, I'm going to try something and see what it works. And that, you know, I did that. You know, we talked earlier about the, the headline project. Those were daily blogs. It was 100 daily blog posts that I made. People weren't going to the site to read it. Um, it's now evergreen content and it does pretty well for me. But as I was doing that, the people that it would attract were not always the, the right audience. They were people that were just trying to learn too. And they weren't the clients. The clients were looking for someone with more proven expertise and more authority that knew what they were doing rather than figuring it out. So being able to post now when I talk about brand voice and talk about examples that I've seen and being able to speak to it from a, a stronger place, that brings in the, the right uh, person. That brings, that's the authority content that really sets you apart. And as you're just you know mentioning there, trying new things is maybe the last 
thing that I would point out, you know, that Simon shared with us is, you know, to get better, you've got to do this yourself. You've got to do it for your own website. So, you know, if you want to learn marketing automation or you want to learn how to, you know, figure out the content engine for your clients, the best place to start is with your own business. You know, yeah, start with your blog or start with your own list, start to see what works, make mistakes, figure it out, learn from them, look at the data, you know, connect up Zapier and a couple of other things with you in your own site, see how that works, but jumping in and trying these tools. And there are free tools out there, as Simon mentioned as well. So they don't all have to be paid, but you need to fail. You need to try a lot of things before you get better and create the level of expertise that clients are looking for. Yeah, it sets you apart so much. And a lot of these things, they seem really scary and they're things that you can put off for months. But then when you get into it, you're usually like, oh, this really isn't so bad. I just got to click a couple of things and, and, and then I'm good to go. So it's most likely the thing that you're holding back from is going to be easier than you thought. Yeah, a lot easier. And that might even include having Rob and Kira do TikTok dances someday. Who knows? <laughs> I'll sign up for that. <laughs> We want to thank Simon DeBrito for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn and we'll link to his LinkedIn bio in the show notes. Uh, if you have been listening to this episode or Justin and I just riffing and you want more Copywriter Club podcasts in your life, check out episode number 242 with Jared McDonald. We talked a bit about marketing automation with him. He's uh, And he gave a great presentation at TCC NIRL, uh, where he talked a lot about tools and using tools uh, in his business and how we can do that as well. Um, so you can look for that content at the Copywriter Club. Also, maybe check out episode number 183 with Meg Casebolt. She talked all about SEO which Simon talked a bit about today and episode number 256 with John Mulry about solving marketing problems. Those are all great episodes. Finally, don't uh, forget to join the waitlist for the accelerator so that you hear all of the details when we open the program back up. There will be an early bird and an early bird pricing. So make sure you get on that waitlist. You can find the link to that at the copywriteraccelerator.com or in the show notes for today's episode. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muttner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to 